Welcome back to another episode of the Practical Guide to Pussyhood. My name is Tash Doherty, and today I have a very special guest with me. Hi, I'm Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Thank you for joining us. Just so everyone knows, last week they hosted this amazing Pussy Prologues event at the center in San Francisco. And it's basically a modern take on vagina monologues, which a lot of us have experienced. And um, this amazing group of women, people with pussies, got together and wrote their own prologues. And then I managed to snag a couple of people, including Rosie, to talk and actually perform her prologue for us right now. And we're in Dolores Park. It's very beautiful. <laughs> and that's why there's some background noise and like dogs jumping around and things. People hacking away at tennis balls. Just a ca- <laughs> your casual, what day is it today? Tuesday? Thursday? Oh, it's, it's, it's Wednesday. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it's Thursday. Are you sure? Is it Wednesday? It's, we- it's, it's Wednesday, Wednesday because I'm right, literally flying to, yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, here's Rosie with her piece. Will I have a baby? Will I be a mother? When I was eight years old, I was sure that I was going to be a mom. It was 1995 and my two youngest siblings were born, twins. And I was obsessed with the dolls that you could buy that would drink water and pee it out. I wasn't the only one. There were multiple toy companies all making the same product for the hordes of little girls that were fascinated with babies and bodily functions. My mother didn't stop me. Imagine you just had your third and fourth children and there is a small indentured servant actively fetishizing your least favorite childcare activities. Wouldn't you utilize that resource? So I helped raise my little sisters and the love that I had for them was immense and reciprocated. When they learned how to talk, they called me little mom. This special relationship with my siblings filled me with a sublime sense of importance and purpose. When I was 23, I became a nanny and my desire to have children dropped to a sudden and alarming low. Nannies are viewed as somewhat expendable, not really part of the family. So they're often asked to do things that the parents themselves don't wanna do. One of many things I was asked was to stop the girl that I was nannying for from masturbating during her afternoon naps. This was upsetting on a lot of levels, but I think the primary one was how important I feel it is to teach children about their bodies with care and with love, with an absence of shame and an emphasis on pleasure. Around the same time, I also started questioning my guiding desires in life. Did I actually want to be a mother or was that idea just implanted in me by the patriarchy or Puritans or capitalists? Was it just the role that was made most accessible to me by the powers that be? I came out of this questioning and being a nanny with my desire to have children badly shaken, but somehow still intact. Who would be the father of my children? In my early 20s, I dated someone more than a decade older than me. So when he was ready to start a family, I had just finished college and I was ready to start a career. Next, I dated someone that I just didn't want to have children with. And then for a while, I was single. I flitted about like a horny little Cupid, shooting my arrows of love, but none of them really stuck. When I was 29, I dated someone that I could really see a future with, and we even talked about having children sometimes. But by my 30th birthday, I was single again. 
I started to contemplate taking matters into my own hands and like my two aunts on my father's side going to a sperm bank. They both single had decided to get pregnant and met in a support group for single lesbian mothers in Boston. Maybe that could be my story. Now though, I am in a partnership with a man that I think would make an amazing father. And I finally feel like I've grown into the kind of person that I would love to see be a mother. So yeah, I'd like to have children, but can I? When I was 25, I was diagnosed with PCOS. PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. When I was diagnosed, I was sitting in the doctor's office and I started to feel like the idea of being sick trickle into my body and it made me really nervous. So I started asking questions like, what does this mean? And will it affect my ability to have children? My doctor told me two things. She said, it won't affect your day to day. And as far as children are concerned, don't worry about it, you're young. I didn't question this dismissal, I just, felt confused and uncomfortable and left the office and life went on. Fast forward six years, two months ago, I was in, becoming intimate with my partner. I was having an intimate moment. Let's just say I was having an <laughs> intimate moment with my partner, okay? And while it was lovely, it wasn't, let's say, like one of the more intense situations. It was gentle and it was good. And I started having the most painful cramps of my entire life. My body was freaking out. No matter what I did, the hot bath that he drew for me, the ibuprofen that I took, I couldn't get my body to calm down. It felt like my insides had turned into burning hot lava and someone was stabbing me in the butthole repeatedly with a giant sword. It was crazy. So the next morning I went to urgent care. I bounced around to various doctors for a while, and I should probably say I never would have had the strength to go through this entire investigation without the support of my partner. It's only because he lent me his strength, his compassion, his presence, and his stubborn insistence that I had the wherewithal to figure out what was going on and go through this whole process within the upsettingly dysfunctional medical system. So eventually, after a second ultrasound and various other countless appointments, I found myself in my gynecologist's office. I was sitting there alone and getting nervous again. I had these previous experiences of being in doctor's offices and not really getting to understand my situation or advocate for myself. I was kicking myself for not having invited my partner or a friend to join me. And like side note, piece of life advice, a medical advocate, while it sounds fancy, is not some legal thing that you have to like apply for ahead of time or fill out paperwork and a credit check for. It's just you inviting anyone you want to join you at the office and help you advocate for yourself. It can be your housemate, your friend, your third grade English teacher, and they just they just come in. There's no like process around that. So if you're ever feeling nervous about going to the doctor and advocating for yourself, I highly recommend inviting someone to join you. Anyway, I'm sitting there getting nervous and then the doctor walks in and she was very attractive. She was 5'4", blonde, very athletic looking. But to be honest, the sexiest thing about this doctor was that she answered all of my questions. So great. 
I found out that everybody's body produces a cyst when they conceive. It's called a corpus luteum. And in the first trimester, that cyst creates the progesterone that keeps the fetus alive. So if you remove the cyst, it'll die. That was pretty transformative to find out because it meant that cysts aren't this like terrible, dark, horrible thing. It's just a thing that your body does. And sometimes it's actually really important and great. We also talked about what it might take for me to conceive and have children. While I may have viable eggs, I don't regularly ovulate. And depending on the severity of my hormonal imbalance, I may never ovulate. If I try for three to six months to get pregnant without success, I can take fertility drugs that will help me release eggs. But these drugs may be linked to women developing more aggressive forms of cancer in their 40s and 50s. So might be kind of risky. My doctor took a breath and looked deep into my eyes. I really want you to have children, she said. I know that's a kind of weird thing to hear coming from your doctor, but honestly, it's the best treatment for you. Often after women with PCOS become pregnant, their hormones just work themselves out. So yeah, I want to have children and I feel like I'm closer than I ever have been, but maybe closer is not close enough. I don't know. Will I have a tiny curly haired, rosy cheeked baby? Will I be a mom? I hope so. Okay, okay. great. We've got some extra bonus parts. footage. Bonus footage. Bonus. Okay. What did the pussy prologues mean to you? Oh, it was pretty personal. Like I'm pretty close with both Michelle and Caroline, the two women organizing it. So for me, it was very much about being in sisterhood with a group of women that are sort of my extended community here in San Francisco and just getting to share our stories and be witnessed by, you know, our extended community. So, you know, San Francisco does this thing really well where we like create a lot of facilitated spaces. And I think you're less likely to just go out for a night on the town and get drinks with your friends, or at least in my community and my subculture, you're less likely to do that. And you're more likely to go to like a ritual or like a facilitated workshop or, you know, even ecstatic dance kind of has like a pretty firm structure, even though people within the structure are doing, you know, whatever they want. So to me, it kind of just felt like an extension of those types of things and less like a produced theater piece and more like a this is just authentically our stories. Yeah. Yeah. Which made it really casual, right? It's exciting because it's more like an open mic than it is like a produced theater piece. And so anyone theoretically could kind of like host a pussy prologues and it would be a completely different performance, right? Yeah. I think that was the coolest part was that they introduced so many topics that hadn't been included in vagina monologues, like queerness and PCOS and like bisexuality, like all of these modern things that are like the function of all different kinds of relationships and abortion as well yeah and IUDs insertions and <laughs> all these all these topics so I think that was the coolest part and I just really hope that like people could replicate the pussy prologues wherever they are write your own prologue and perform it in front of your friends or whoever and re redo the vagmon 
amazing era that it was. Yeah. But modern and varied. Yeah. It was so surprising to me when I like when they went through the list of things that weren't included. I was I have a vague recollection of watching it like ten years ago or something and I was just like what was even in that? (laughs) But yeah, my friend afterwards pointed out that while we introduced some new stories and, and new sort of like diversity of experience, the pussy prologues that we like performed in and hosted were still in some ways was very homogenous, right? It was all women within a certain age range, aside from Dolores, who was amazing. Um, almost like white presenting, having a more diversity of bodies and backgrounds and experiences there, I think would be really neat. And like, I think the reason that we drew the people that we did into it is because that's who Michelle and Caroline are connected to, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, if you were to do it in another location with another group of people, it could potentially be just like a whole other range of humans. And so in terms of introducing people to experiences that are like not from their bubble, I think this is still a model that needs work. Right now it's very viral in terms of network growth. Mm. That's kind of a nerdy way to put it. But like, do you understand (laughs) what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, People are just like making social connections. Yeah. Or maybe you want to see the pussy prologues from a town that's really far away from where you live. And these people have completely different access to like healthcare. The intersectionality of things could definitely be improved. But that's also because of the nature of San Francisco in itself. There's no racial diversity here in a lot of ways. Um, All the people that used to live here who were of different races don't live here anymore. As much as we're trying to have these more empowered, enlightened conversations about pussies there's still like a lot to be desired totally when you were like saying you know you want to see a production from a different city do you know the website omgs yeah yeah it'd be really interesting to create a library of monologues or prologues where people's stories are accessible within like a a library or or database sort of structure so that if it built up enough content content that you could search through and sift through the things yeah yeah definitely people have different experiences but there's also a lot of like themes and similarities as well what was your experience like seeing the show oh i absolutely loved it but i think it was also because i was just looking for more like pussy power in my life also i think the fact that for example michelle even you like girls who are a bit older than me understanding your experiences was really inspiring because right now i'm like in my mid-20s what are my 30s gonna look like but will i just walk off a cliff when i when i (laughs) when i turn 30 like i really don't know yeah and then Um, you'll just start flying because when you turn 30 you grow wings wow (laughs) get ready (laughs) it's exciting and I think that was really the most important part of it for me I think because people were presenting their own prologues it was your own story that you were talking about it makes it so much more meaningful right yeah Yeah. exactly but I think that was what was amazing was like I also got to write my own prologue in my own time and I performed it at the open mic afterwards it would be great if with the prologues going forwards all of the people who were in the production wrote and presented their own and then you create like a content bank of all of them because there's just so much variety and I thought that was really it just made it really special I think yeah totally I think people are ready for it too right like when Eve Ensler did the interviews and curated a bunch of different interviews and people's stories the access to information was harder right it was like the 90s so like people weren't really on the internet so much I mean just starting to really get on it and Mm -hmm. so now we live in an age where like people are very used to devouring content right and so I don't know maybe it's like an updated format as well yeah definitely but I still think with these topics as much as information you can read on the internet 
it still doesn't feel personal and real. Yeah. I could read, for example, about PCOS. I could read an article on Wikipedia and it can be like, oh, it has, you know, these functioning systems and whatever. And that makes sense and maybe helps me understand it from a scientific perspective. But I think given the nature of these more taboo subjects, it's just nice to give them air with real people in the real world. And that is something that you can only get through word of mouth and live performances or, or, or maybe a podcast. I don't know. Yeah. Or, yeah, or a video or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm just so grateful that, yeah, you could come on the show and share <laughs> your prologue because this was literally my most fun weekend in San Francisco, <laughs> maybe in a year. Wow. Yeah, like, I freaking loved... And then we danced afterwards, like, we danced after the show and we got to meet everyone, and I was there until, like, literally 2 in the morning, wow. so it was great. Yeah, it was a good party. It was really fun. Yeah. I will say about turning 30, the biggest thing that happened for me when I turned 30 is that I only wanted to wear fuzzy, baggy things. Like, so just invest, invest in some cashmere because you are going to need it. Invest in yourself and buy some cashmere at cashmere.com. Well, thanks, Rosie. Thanks, Tosh. So good. Bye. Bye.